Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Two Fit Podcast, hosted by the Two Fit guys, Jake and Josh. Now, Two Fit, by definition, is actively pursuing a state of health and well being beyond perceived limitations. So, if you're looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally, physically, and everywhere in between, then you have come to the right place. On the Two Fit Podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks of the trade that you can implement, whether you're a world-class athlete, weekend warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out the eight to five, all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming Two Fit. What's going on, guys? Welcome again to another edition of the Two Fit Podcast. Now, today we bring a special pair of people to you, Al Curtis and Sandy Mackey, but together they're known as the Pool Guy and the Pool Girl. Now, they've been a tremendous help to us as we got started along here with Two Fit. They're gurus when it comes to social media, organic marketing, how to gather your tribe and spread your message. We basically heed their advice on just about everything. Sandy was pretty much a driving force for getting me back on Facebook, um, which I never thought I would see that day, neither did any of my friends or family. So that should tell you that uh, they have some influence. They know what they're doing. We also believe that you should heed their advice as well, and that's why we're bringing them on today. And honestly, we wouldn't be where we are today without these two. Now, they're based out of Michigan where they own and operate Legendary Escapes, and what that is is a custom hybrid pool building company. If you don't know what that is exactly, that's all right. You'll soon find out. They also help entrepreneurs, businesses really hone in on their market and walk them through how to organically build that following and how to cultivate the culture that you desire for your business that's eventually going to lead to a successful work life, but also more importantly, a successful and happy home life. Now, they've written their own book where they lay that foundation for striking a balance in life and truly finding something that you enjoy and are good at. The book's title is Our Certain Way. This tells the story of Legendary Escapes and how they're able to flip the pool industry on its head, all with Al's head in front of the camera and only picking jobs that made them happy. In addition to Legendary Escapes, they both write for journals in their industry, they host their own podcast, and like I said, they're pretty much polished in all things social media and business related. So without further ado, I'm going to get out of the way and bring to you the pool guy and the pool girl, Sandy. Enjoy. Al, Sandy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, my first question, how, how did you two meet? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> well, you want to answer that one? Go yeah, ahead. Go for it. So we have a long history of knowing each other through years and years and years. I was a, I was a college kid 500 miles from where I live currently in a little town, and I went to church. Turns out, her grandmother used to invite me to dinner when I was a starving college kid. And she was a little girl sitting in the pew up in the front. She was a little seven-year-old girl. And uh, so I got to know the family pretty well, which was interesting. Would have known who she was because of the family. I know her parents. And then years later, her now ex-husband at that time, he and I worked together he left. We had a great time. He left. I heard he got married. Didn't know to who. Didn't know anything about it. 
And years later, he came back looking for a job to work with me. At that point, I bought the pool company. And lo and behold, he married this little girl from this church four, 450 miles away. The little seven-year-old girl that I remember in the front pew, he married, had married her. And so that's how she got introduced to my life was through her ex-husband. And then, uh, from there, that was, that was 14, 15 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were, came on board to start working pools. And I don't know, tell the story, however you see it in terms of kind of where we end up now. Well, at that point, yeah, we were going to work a deal to buy a part of the existing pool company because at that time, Al was already thinking about getting into these creative and elaborate legendary escapes. Well, as it turns out, um, my original partnership didn't last, so it made sense for me to stay with the company. And I worked for Al for a while in the beginning, and then... When we determined um, that we had complementary skill sets, we decided that it was worth partnering up. So at that point, I kind of took over the operations side of things and the marketing, and Al kept going on the construction and design. So it worked out really well with our different skill sets. Yeah, let's just explain to people real quick what you guys, what company you run now, because you got some beautiful images of uh, these backyards and pools that we can see in your office here on Skype. So let's just give people the rundown, kind of your day to day, and and what company y'all are. Y'all are uh, working on and continuing to grow. So the company that we have now is Legendary Escapes Swimming Pools. And it is a custom, creative, artistic, boutique swimming pool company. So we do a lot of theming, a lot of really interesting and exciting backyards for people who are looking for something that's just kind of way outside of you know, if you think normal and traditional and then you think crazy and elaborate, we tend to be more on the crazy elaborate side of things. And well, crazy and elaborate, but on the art side, there's a lot of pool guys out there that say that they're custom pool builders and you could strip the names off of all of their websites and put any other name on there and they all look the same because the pools, although they're quote unquote custom, they're the same thing. They're all pretty much doing the exact same thing. And we have a radically different approach, a really art-based approach and an organic. And I use that word all the time. You know, we talk about organic marketing. Well, we use our, our projects are very organic in nature and they sort of grow out of the ground. And that's the beautiful part for us is it allows us just to create. We have really great customers that let us just play in their backyard and then create pretty cool stuff. So how did you, how did you find that, Al, like in yourself? Had you, have you always been an artist? Uh, I've, I've always been artistic. I wouldn't exactly say I was an artist. I, I started college. Interestingly enough, I started college in art. I thought I wanted to go into illustration. And, and back in those days, advertising was done by hand drawings, all kinds of hand drawing things. And turns out my professors thought I wasn't a very good drawer, but they thought I was a great sculptor. So they said, you know, they were really leading me toward three dimensional. Well, it turns out I switched careers and I ended up with a degree in physics and math. So I went from about as far right brain to about as far left brain as you can in terms of their curriculum and uh, graduated, started my master's in physics, but loved the art, loved painting, loved drawing, loved sculpting, loved playing with color and playing with textures. And and so the pool business just fit. And it was a long process to get to where we're, we're at now in terms of what we're doing pool wise. But I always had that sense of loving to play in color and loving to sculpt and design and do things like that. So for the people out there who don't know, what exactly is a hybrid pool? What makes a pool hybrid? 
When you have the conversation about different pool types, there's typically three main categories that people would talk about. There's vinyl liner pools, which are steel wall structures that hold a vinyl liner. So that's one type of pool building. And then there are gunite pools, which are constructed in a different way. And oftentimes people interchange the words gunite with concrete. So it's a different method of building. And then there's fiberglass pools as well, which people are familiar with. So the hybrid pool is something that Al specializes in and is one of the only builders in the country. The only one who does it the way that we do with its particular um, mix of vinyl and gunite. So what we do is make the main body of water vinyl liner and then do sun shelves and steps and waterfalls and things like that out of the gunite, which allows us to add a lot of the creative elements. Yeah, there's there's a couple different reasons to do it. Uh, first off, a vinyl liner pool is really comfortable to swim in. It's a smooth surface. You don't tear up your toes and your knees rubbing on on the bottom of the pool, which in a concrete pool, oftentimes, that's what happens is people rub their knees raw and they rub their toes raw. So we took the best part of vinyl, which is comfortable in terms of the most usable part of the pool, but then we use the gunite to do all of our really creative, durable things that we need. So we can build swim-in caves that you can swim inside and sit inside and, you know, spas and waterfalls and sun shelves and all those things, and, th- and they can be really durable. So we're kind of blending the best of both worlds, and it's worked out really well for us. Well, the reason that we did that, too, was because the customers started asking for it. One of our first hybrid swimming pools, the homeowner wanted to create an entertaining space. They threw a lot of parties, and through their careers, they needed to have a nice place to do a lot of entertaining. They decided that they wanted a vinyl liner swimming pool because they knew how comfortable it was. And then they wanted to be able to put lounge chairs in the pool on a sun ledge, and they didn't want to have to worry about damaging the liner at all. So it was really out of their request that Al got creative and figured out how to put this together. Yeah. And we didn't, nothing, none of it is proprietary. We just used what was available in the industry and just used it in a new way and found that it worked. And the net result of it, it's, it's created a buzz in the industry. And we've certainly, we've had requests from all over the country, people wanting us to build in this way, or can we help their builder learn this process? Can we, you know, train someone else? Can they come and learn from us just because it makes sense? It's just using old technology in a new way. Do you guys do very many saltwater pools or what's kind of the ratio there? I've always wondered on, on a regular pool versus a saltwater pool. Everything we do today is salt. I was an, I was an early adopter to salt way back when. And what happened is in our industry, a lot of the innovation comes from California and works its way east. And way back when there were a couple guys probably building these salt generators out of their garages and they were selling them in the back of the pool magazine. So if you went, got a, one of, one of the, there's a few trade magazines in the very back, there'd be these little ads for these salt generators. And I started buying them really early because I thought it was interesting and they weren't, they weren't very good at the time, but it caught on and the, the large manufacturers got involved and bought out the technology and then put a ton of money into refining it. And the net result is, I don't know that I would build a pool unless there was a specific need not to have one. I don't know that I'd build a pool without one today. Wow. Now, Al, I also understand we've spoken many times, I guess, over the past almost year, I guess, at uh, Entrepreneur Conference we're all a part of. I know the story is at one point you were very burned out on the pool business. Just kind of give people the info on that and what brought you back in and, and uh, kind of reignited the fire. 
You know, that that's everything changed at that point. So my history and, and when Sandy got involved, she could tell the story of we were a good company building a great product, but we were a train wreck waiting to happen. We were one ca- uh, catastrophe away from just a disaster happening. And it was just because we were going so fast and our, our business in Michigan is seasonal. So we ramp up and we hire all these people and we get these trucks going all over the place being crazy, trying to get work done, weather being an issue. And then we have to lay everybody off or most of them off. We could keep, keep a few and then start over again. So every year the business was brand new and that was a real challenge because as the demand grew, we couldn't, we couldn't keep up with the demand. So the business was, you know, we were doing just fine, but it was, it was tough. And so she came on board and she really recognized that. And that was one of the things that, that what, what makes our relationship really good is Sandy was one of those that when she came on board purely as an employee working, working our store, she would take the phone calls and schedule things. And then I wouldn't live up to it because I was too busy. I had too many things going on, too many irons in the irons in the fire. And one day she said to me, she, she said, who are you accountable to? Who? Because she knew that I was accountable to no one. Because my feeling, my opinion was there's so much business out there. There's so many customers that who cares? Who cares if I screw up on one of them? And it wasn't because I don't care. It's because I just couldn't do it all. But that conversation real early on when she was just an employee in the office saying, who are you accountable to, started shifting me to thinking about, you're right, who am I accountable and why do I do this? So that that was a big change in what happened. But in those years, I was burning out. I was just done. Running 100 miles an hour, working seven days a week, 90 hours a week. My kids were growing up and I was missing everything that they were doing. And I, I was just away all the time. I couldn't, there wasn't another hour in a day that I could squeeze in. And, and it still felt like a train wreck. It still felt like we were any one little mishap away from being a catastrophe. And that burned on me. That, that wore me out. And over time, I decided at that point, she and I had partnered and it made more sense for me after the breakup with her husband and all that stuff. It made more sense for us to partner and keep going because of her skill set than for her to leave. And then I'd start over right with where we were at. So we partnered and made all that work, but she even knew it that I was burned out. And we both agreed that maybe it's time to just be done with the pool business. And we tried to let it go. We did everything we could to kill the company. I mean, you know, didn't, didn't market, didn't advertise, didn't do anything, but we did answer the phone. And when the phone calls came in, I kept going and doing the work and it wouldn't go away. But in the process of that, we started the insights group, which I'll let Sandy jump in and talk about that. And I'll come back with how we ended up where we are with pools. Right. So at the time that Al was a little bit burned out with the pool, a little bit burned out. Okay. A lot burned out and he didn't want to do it anymore. We had started the insights group, which was an entrepreneur support community that we put together because of Al's history in the business, knowing that he was a small business guy and didn't really have a lot of resources or places to turn for advice and encouragement and things like that. We had decided that we wanted to build this place. So 
that story is an interesting um, side tangent all of itself without any type of a business plan or marketing strategy or anything in mind. We, because he wanted to be done with the pool industry, um, we decided, all right, we're going to start this new thing. So what's the first logical thing that anybody does when they're starting something new? They go out and they find a building. So we you know, found ourselves a six, a six figure lease with building, a, with you know, a six figure with no lease idea how we're going to make any money with it for the next three years. And we had, um, zero plan, zero marketing budget, almost zero, anything, um, budget, operating we have the building budget and. We just started putting the pieces together one step at a time. And that's really through that whole process of the insights group. We started getting people together. And as we were marketing ourselves really creatively, because we didn't have a big marketing budget, that's where a lot of the ideas for using social media and eventually organic marketing came out of that process. So now looking back on it, it makes perfect sense why we took the side tangent into creating the insights group, because it gave us all of the skills and practical application of all of these marketing techniques. And it was, we launched in 2008. So it was just at the time when Facebook um, had become something that wasn't just for college kids anymore, but the word social media and business were so brand new that so many people had no idea what to do with it. So at that time at the insights group is when, um, we had the advisory board come in. It wasn't for us, but one of our members and friends that you guys know as well, Brett Blair, had an advisory board where people, very successful business people from around the country flew in to help him with his business. And we ended up hosting one of his afternoon sessions because they wanted to come in and talk about social media. And that meeting is really where Al... That shifted everything. ...began mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. think about the pool business in a new way. The interesting thing about the Insights Group, too, was it we didn't know it at the time, but we had we'd taken over this huge building... And there were all these little offices down one wall. And we thought, well, how cool. What if we made those little individual offices for members, for people coming in to be able to use once, you know, one time, one time use if they're meeting clients. And we thought, oh, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Well, little did we know that that would be a trend. We were right on the front side of co-working. So what we didn't, what we built, we were one of the first, one of the first 15 co-working facilities in the world. At that point, and there's 15,000 of them now because that was a trend that was, that was a trend that was happening that we didn't even, we just saw opportunity in it and we had no idea that that was a coming trend. So we were way on the front end of that, but we used the tools of social media to talk, to start sharing that message. So we were really early adopters and it was, that was Sandy. She saw it. I didn't see it at the time, but I was an early adopter to Twitter. I was, I was a Twitter guy early, early on. Loved that. I think there were less than a million members in Twitter at the point that I, that I got my account, uh, and just loved every bit of that. And that, but that became our education for what was to come next. That the whole experience was purely our education. It was a, it was a pretty expensive lesson in teaching us what we didn't know, but it was a worthwhile, worthwhile experience. And that's why we both went back to college. Is what that experience was. It was going back and getting a whole new set of education. But that at that meeting, one of the guys stood up and he was, he's out of Houston, Texas. And he said, if he's a little gruff, he said, if you're so fucking good at the social media stuff, why don't you use it for the pool business? And at that point, understand I had given all my equipment away. I'd given away the dump trucks, not sold them, the cement mixers, the tools, everything. 
giving it away because I was done. And but the phone kept ringing, so then I'd have to go rent equipment to go build the work. But I was I was just so burned out. But at that point, I was just done with it. And when he stood up and said that, I looked at the guy next to me and I said, because I'm just burned out. I just don't want to do it anymore. But what that did was that that left something in my head. And and it was just that spark that I needed. And it percolated in there for a couple months. And that's when I went back to Sandy and I said, you know, I've been thinking about this now for two months. What if? What if we took a new run at the pool company in a new way? Because we had built a thousand pools at that point. It's not like we didn't have experience or knowledge or history. But but what if we could build the business our way? What if we could start with our why and figure out why we want to do it and who we want to do it for? And that was the big shift. And then using all of the tools, which I think share how organic marketing came about, too, because part of our group, our insights membership groups were mastermind groups where we would sit and talk about marketing. We would sit and talk about all the different types of stuff. And she came up in that process, came up with organic marketing, which is what became the basis for our entire company. Now, um, I just had a quick question. Would you mind define, defining uh, what co-working means for just maybe some people out there that aren't familiar? And also the insights group, is that something that you guys started with, with a group of people up in Michigan? Or was that something you dove into that was already established? So the insights group was something that we started from scratch. Um, we rented the building and we started putting meetings together. So through marketing those, we ended up with quite a tribe of people. Our first meeting ever, I believe, had eight people in it. Six, six people. Six people. And at our one year and or one year birthday celebration, basically for the company, we had a hundred and eight people in the room. So it did grow pretty quickly. Coworking is probably best defined as shared office space. So there's a lot more of them in kind of urban areas. Brighton, because we're such a commuter community, maybe wasn't one of the best places, but I know New Orleans, New York City, a lot of places where people um, kind of live in smaller spaces and do a lot of kind of home-based entrepreneur type of activities, they need somewhere to go to work with other business people. So co-working is shared office space and there's a lot of different arrangements. A lot of times it's a membership. Sometimes you can rent one room in the office building. Sometimes it's just one desk and sometimes it's shared. So yeah, and it's and it's even organic in that you could be a small business entrepreneur, you know, just getting started. And you could sit at a table with four other people working on their computers, all doing their own startup companies. And what that would do is it would generate this excitement around helping each other. And that, that was the co-working part is I'm here doing my part, but you're doing yours. What if we help each other? Mm-hmm. And the net result is you get a lot of collaboration. And that's where a lot of the think tank ideas come from is groups of people working together, working on their own businesses, but helping each other with their, with each other's business. It's become very popular. So we do still have some insights activities going on. We still have a marketing group that we run and we still have one of our original masterminding groups that meets every week as well. So that's where we get to go and kind of recharge our batteries and have some of those ideas and continue growing. Um, we're just constantly a part of, you know, different kind of think tank groups and things like that. Well, obviously you guys have a winning formula. I know when I went on to Google, and searched what is a hybrid pool there was al's face this this the first video on there and the second link down um and i know i've heard y'all talk about how 
the more successful you are, kind of the more times you have to say no, or the more often you, you find it is that you're saying no. And so you find yourselves turning down certain jobs. Now, is that just a gut feeling or, or how do you, how do you go about that? What jobs do you decide that you take and not take? That is a fully loaded question that I think we could go on for an hour with. Like, go ahead and you handle that one first because, you know, that what's happened for us because we've done the deep social media part, we were so involved and insights really taught us to be involved online. Uh, Sandy had said to me many years ago, she said, just listen to me and do what I say for a year and we'll take over the internet when it comes to swimming pools. And so I did. And what she did was she put the camera in front of my face and made me talk. Made me talk and made me talk. And what happened was we end up with, I don't know, 1,400, 1,500 videos online now that are all getting viewed. The very first video we ever did and the 1,500 video that we've done all get views. Some of them, we have some videos that have 200,000 views and we have some videos that have 20 views. But if you add that up, it's this constant me being in front of people. So when, when that happened, that changed everything for us because we talk about in, in marketing, especially on the internet, a funnel. You've got all these people coming in, coming to your website. How do you funnel them down to being your customer? How do you target exactly who they are? And we got really, really concise and precise about who we wanted to work with. And then that result is we turn away 90% of our phone calls, 90% of our good quality leads to build pools for we don't even take. So the screening process in there too, you guys have been through our organic marketing tic-tac-toe board and that came out of one of our meetings. I was sitting in a mastermind meeting one day and I was thinking about marketing and I thought there has to be an easier way for people to understand this because there's a lot of moving pieces. And what I ended up writing in my notebook was a tic-tac-toe board with these different concepts in it. So when we took another look at the pool company, we got very clear on starting with who we were, who we wanted to be, and then who we wanted to work with. So we decided that we wanted to do really custom special projects. And we wanted to work with people who were fun and quirky and people that we could enjoy every day, not just people that had money. So now today, when people call into the office, um, they typically get our um, office assistant, who is the first person that screens that call. And through a series of questions, she can get a sense of how they fit in with our tic-tac-toe board. So... As an example, if somebody ever calls and they use um, kind of just the phrase, I'm looking for a price or I'm looking for quotes on a pool, we know that that's not necessarily our client because our clients would tend to call and they say, I've been to your website and I love your work and I'd like to meet with the pool guy to see what he can come up with for me. So the more clear that we got on who we were and who we were looking for, then we could start listening in for those cues, even from their initial phone call when they call us. Um, and sure, we do get some calls for people that might be a fit and they're not quite, they don't know how to ask the questions in the way that we're looking for. So we'll kind of guide them through a process, asking them if they've been to the website, because if they have, they've, they're bound to run into some of Al's videos because we want them to get to know Al and the rest of our team and kind of our quirky personality before we go farther, because that's one of those things too, the video will share with people what your energy signature is and what you're all about. So before even getting together, they can decide, oh, yeah, this sounds like something we're interested in. And once we know they've gotten that far, they're kind of, you know, getting into the place where we might be able to say yes to working with them. Yeah, I think I think we've we've gotten really clear in terms of who we want to work with. 
that that's probably the defining thing that's changed everything about our business and me as a person is recognizing that we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. And why not do only the stuff we'd love to do? So by doing that, and it's a scary thing at first, I'm, I'm used to, again, remember trying to kill the pool business, but still answering the phone like an idiot. Here I am not wanting to do it, but answering the, every phone and running out there and doing the work because I'm, I'm so designed and our society designs us to where well, you're supposed to. When the phone rings, you're supposed to take it. You're supposed to do something. And once we got clear on what it is that we wanted to do, it became, it became a lot easier to say no to the point where Katie, one of the girls in the office that Sandy was just talking about that takes most of the calls on the front side. At the time, she was 17 when she started with us. And she had full authority to say no to anything she wanted to say no to. So any given day, she could turn away $250,000 worth of pool work. And the, and, and the basis was, if it doesn't feel right, say no. If they breathe wrong or they don't seem right or they're weird or they're, they don't make you feel right, say no. And here's a 17-year-old girl saying no to stuff all day long. Now, initially, that would have been scary to me because for fear of losing out on work. But what I realized, because of what we'd done online, the phone was going to ring again. Every time we say no, the phone's going to ring again. So we don't have to worry about any one phone call anymore. And once they get past Katie, they still have to get past Sandy. Sandy sends them back to the website through the process and then grills them a whole bunch of more questions. And if they can get past her, then we'll finally do an appointment. So by the time that we even get out there, we're 99% sure that we're probably going to build for them because they know us. They know all about us. They, I, I hear it every time I go out just about to finally meet someone is you're exactly who you were on video. You sound the same. You look the same. You, you know, all of that. And so they already know me. They feel like I'm their best friend at that point. I don't know anything about them, but they know everything about me. That makes sales really easy. And that's where the power of the internet has really changed all of it for us. But it's also allowed that funnel to grow really big. So the calls keep coming in and it's easy to say no when you know the phones are going to ring again. If the phone's going to ring one time, everyone grabs for it and wants to, everyone's work struggling for that same job. But when you know the phone's going to ring again, it's pretty easy to say, no, this one doesn't feel right. And to the point where we stay away from some of the most exclusive, expensive neighborhoods we don't want to work in because of the mentality of the people. And I, I would dream of those. Years ago, I would dream that that's if I could only get into that subdivision or into that community, boy, that would make it for me. And now, Katie says no to those all the time because why do something that doesn't feel good? You know, I only have so much time left on this earth to do what I want to do. Why do something that I'm not happy with? Why do something that I don't feel good about? Why do something that doesn't make me a better person? And that became the basis for everything that we do today. So I feel like I probably already know the answer to this, but, but that mindset of one saying no more often and not doing anything that, that you don't want to do, is that industry specific? Cause I'm thinking about, you know, mine and Josh is business that we've started up here and being in the supplement nutrition, you know, fitness industry. How do we extrapolate that and apply that to our business? And then also what about startups and kind of small businesses? How do, how do they apply that? I think there's, uh, there's no easy one answer to that. I would certainly knowing having been through that process, that startup process many times and how 
uncomfortable it is and, and you just got to sell some stuff because you got to make some money. And I certainly understand that. And I, I don't think that you start by being too exclusive. I think you become more exclusive. So early on, you take more, but taking more with the recognition that as the ball gets rolling, it's going to be easier to say no. See, what happens is a lot of people get started taking everything and then that becomes their, their mode of operation. They take everything and they become really unhappy because you're working longer and harder for less money because you're saying yes to everything. And initially, it's hard not to do that because in startup mode, you got to make some money. You got to make any money anywhere you can. You take just about everything. But what I would hope that anyone in that position would do is say, I'm not always going to do this. I'm going to be different than the, than the rest. Most companies never get out of that mode. Once you train yourself to take every phone call, you pretty much take every phone call or sell every, every product that's available to sell or whatever it is or try to grow too quickly. So I, I, I think that you probably, and maybe Sandy can jump in on that too, is I think that it's pretty difficult on the front side to, to be that exclusive. But I think as long as the plan is and your, your tic-tac-toe board is saying, where am I going? I think it becomes a lot easier. I think that's the key. If you don't know what your sweet spot is or what you want your target to be, it's hard to talk to them. And that's really, I agree with what Al is saying that at the beginning, you do have to work your way into some of these decisions. But as soon as you you say yes to one person, then you can continue refining your message. And the tic-tac-toe process that we've gone through with you guys, where you start with you and you know who you are and you know who your target audience is, when you start to think like them and you put your messaging together so it resonates with them, it will tend to speak to the people that you want it to. And then the ones that may not be such a good fit for you, they probably won't be as affected by your message because it's not meant for them. So the organic marketing process helps you kind of steer in that direction and get even more clarity as time goes on through the process. I, I think there's another part to this as well. A lot of guys and gals get into business just to make money. And again, making money is really important and all of us have bills to pay and all of that. But if your mindset is purely money, then you really don't care what it is that you're doing and you'll sell anything anywhere, anytime. But if your business becomes a lifestyle, the way that you want it to be, the way that, the thing that you can be passionate about, it becomes easier over time to start saying no to things. And it's not just a pool business exclusive. It's every business. We watch people all the time be non-exclusive and just do all kinds of crazy stuff. They don't have to, but they don't know not to. You guys, the same thing. You'll define a niche. And as you get more clear with the target, like really crystal clear with who it is you want to be around, think about the who would you want to be around all the time? Why not do that? Why not surround yourself with people that you can just love to have as customers that you can't help but pile on more to them because you love them so much? That's your choice. Now, we don't think we have that choice in business, but we do. Once we made the conscious decision from the pool end that we were only going to do what we wanted to do because we loved it, because we love the customer. And I tell them, I tell people that today. I'll only work for you if I know that I can fall in love with you more and more every single day. I'm not afraid to say that to people and that's going to freak some people out and that's okay. It's going to be the same for you guys. You can work with a bunch of schmoes and schmucks if you want, or you can start deciding that you're going to sell your product to the people that you love to be around. And the more you make that decision, the more you refine it and think about it and talk about it in those terms, it's amazing they start showing up. 
And the more they show up, the more crap you sell. And the more crap you sell, the more you can love on people. And the more you love on people, the more stuff you sell. And it it's sort of this continual thing. But it's a mindset that you have to have. And and that isn't always easy. I mean, I had a lot of experience of beating my head against the wall. I put a lot of years into having nothing, ultimately, except for experience. And that's what I had. But I would hope that my experience, having been through it that way, would help guys like you not have to go through my stuff. You're going to have to go through your own. I recognize that. We all have to have our own experience. But I do think that you can choose, anyone can choose in any business to do people do business with people that they can really enjoy doing business with or don't do the business. Most people do business for money. I want to do business because I, I only have a limited amount of time on this earth. We all do. Why not do the shit that we love to do and have fun doing it? So I was going to say, it's kind of funny, but from the get-go, uh, Al, we had made a decision. We currently sponsor two athletes, and we always said, hey, we're going to have like an application process. If you want to be sponsored by 2Fit, then you know we're not just going to throw out products so that you can rep our name and you know we have 150 athletes out there just to wear a t-shirt we said we're you're going to go through a, a a process and you know if, if we find that hey you've got a bunch of fried chicken all over Instagram you know we're, you might not be the guy or girl uh for the team i think just sticking to that like you said like-minded people who want to have fun and be along for the journey it, you got to keep that that guiding light regardless of you know, having 500 people out there wear your t-shirt, I'd rather have 10 people of high quality than, than 500, you know, schmucks. So. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And I think that's having that mindset on the front side puts you guys light years ahead of number one, anyone else in your space, but people in businesses in general, because if you can have that and continue that clarity and keep that, that changes everything. Because it allows you to love it and stay passionate about it because you can love the people. You can really enjoy the experience and you can get into their lives and it can be significant and it can be uh, way more than just business. And to make it way more than business makes it a lifestyle. We do what we do because we love it now. And the beautiful thing is, is it changed the culture of the company and all the employees. And I don't know if you guys heard that, but when at, at the last summit we were at when uh, – you guys were probably up in the front with the millennials when when Katie said, I don't know if you recognize when my daughter said, she said, what you guys get this weekend, I get every day. She said, whole crowd, because we live in that yummy space of being positive, of having a good time, surrounding ourselves with things we love. You know, we 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 encourage everyone in the organization to do that same thing and live that way and live creatively and always think about new ways of solving problems and so they're all everyone in the everyone on our in our company has the free will to make any drastic decision to try to do something better. And they're never going to get yelled at for it because we want that. And the more that we nurture that in us, the more we can nurture that in them. And then they see that and they can go out and nurture it with our customers. So now our employees are looking for stuff that they can bring to the homeowners to add to the project because it makes it. It makes it more family, I guess. The, the customers, we become family. And the past was customers couldn't wait for us to get out of the yard. Today, customers never want us to leave. We feel, it's it's weird. We feel like we're cheating on a customer by working with the next customer. And they feel the same way. They feel like we're cheating on them. And they, they all the time going, when are you coming back? Won't you come? Now, this is construction. 
This is where most people, construction is a horrible place to be. No one loves, likes their contractor. No one likes to do any of that. Our people beg us to come back. Then they throw parties just so we'll come back. And then they'll throw another party so we'll come back and visit them. But that started with us deciding to do only what we love to do for people we can love to do it for and have fun doing it. And the net result is now it's not construction anymore. It's a whole new realm of, I don't know, it's experience. It's creating experiences for people. And that's, yeah, that's really cool. Now I want to move on to the one of y'all's favorite subjects. I, I still remember from the, uh, from the first time we met you guys and we went to dinner, uh, there in St. Louis. It was y'all and, and Sean, y'all nailed this into us, that's for sure. And that's knowing your why. And I think we knew internally, we just didn't know how to externalize it. We need to, uh, to think on it a little bit more, but, but why is your why so important? For so long, I operated out of this because I was supposed to mentality. Because I had a business, so I was supposed to do that. And remember when Sandy said a little while ago about why we started the Insights Group? It was, I was in the business. We were building tons of pools. I had crews everywhere and trucks everywhere. And it looked, it looked on the outside super successful. And I was miserable. And, and what would happen was, I felt like I was a beacon floating in the middle of the ocean all alone. I had no support system. I had no one to turn to. It's not like I could call up another pool guy and say, Hey, I got this problem. Can you help me? And he'd say, you know, F off, you know, you, you, you got that job from me. So I felt like I was really alone. And when we had the opportunity to try to step away from the business, the pool business, what I wanted to do was help small business people not feel like I was feeling. And that was the whole premise for me, even wanting to get involved in insights was how can I help other people not feel crappy like I feel every day? How can I help other entrepreneurs that are starting this journey and maybe have been in it a little while feel like they can get support? And what we did was we said, a, a guy that's, uh, you know, building pools isn't that different than a lady that hangs curtains. It's just, it's a business. All the pieces are the same. The product's just different. So how could she help him and he help her? And we started putting groups together. And my why was developed out of that, that if I could do this, and love to do it, then I could, I could do it forever because physically what I do, because I'm involved in the project, I'm not just a manager. I don't just, you know, drive out to the job and watch people work. I like to work myself. I knew that I had a limited number of years that I could do this just physically. There's certain limitations. And if I was going to beat my body up like this every day, why not do it if you could love it? And so that's why the why became so important to me. Why am I doing this? Because I have to love it. Because otherwise, there's got to be an easier way of making money. There's got to be a better way of me feeling good about who I am. There's got to be a different way. So if I can find something that I love to do, I had to, I had to use the why that I do this to find that out. And then it just became, why do I, why do I do this today? Because I love the customers. I love the experience. I love the creativity. I love the company. I love everyone involved in it. I love the teaching. I love the marketing. All of a sudden, I even love the video work as much as she sticks a camera in front of my face and I go, oh, again. But the net result is I can't help but enjoy it every day. So let me jump in there. And Al, I'm glad he got to the video part of things because I do remember the dinner where we had really, um, I don't know, I think brought up what is your why in a very straightforward way. 
What we realized through our process is that by knowing your why, you can talk about your why and people enjoy hearing those stories. So I think it's really important for any new entrepreneur or startup company to get super clear on that because you can talk about your gadget and your widget until you're blue in the face, but until people know why you do it, they can't care about it the way that you do. And when you just asked Al that question, if you'll notice how passionate he got about the subject, that's what knowing your why does. It allows you to bring that passion out and to tell the stories about it in the way that motivates people and makes them feel it. So that I think knowing your why does everything that Al had explained, but then it also reaches people in a way that surface level marketing or advertising just wouldn't do. I I think that's a a great point is your why and the story of your why and the love for doing it is so much more convincing than a gimmick, than a let's try something to see if we can get some attention. You're just sharing who and what you are as a person is way more interesting and people really engage with that. We get get a lot of well, kudos to the two fit guys, because yeah. you guys, I know, have really been consciously going through this process as you're launching and it shows it absolutely yeah. shines through in the messaging and what you're putting out there. So I think you guys are are doing it all in the right way, which is awesome. So yeah, kudos to you guys for that. Definitely proud of you for that, because a lot of guys, guy, when I say guys, guys, gals would push this part aside and think it's all oh, about just about business. But by concentrating on this, it's your lives are, are going to blossom in ways you couldn't even imagine because it's you're living fully. You know, we live in a society where it's, you know, it's men aren't supposed to share their emotions and, you know, men aren't supposed to cry and all the, the same stories. But you you are you deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel accomplished and to be satisfied with who you are. And yet society would tell us that you're kind of not because that's bragging, that's boasting, that's whatever. But you know what? When you're feeling good, what else is there? I mean, really, if you can feel good every day about what you do and be emotionally connected to it, how could you not get excited about that? And that's that's a big piece that most, unfortunately, most business people lose because the grind is painful. And I was there and I did everything I could to get out. And got out, but got back in with a whole new perspective. And you touched on something earlier I'd like to to revisit. You said a lot of people, they want to start a business and they think, how can I make money? Do you think it's as simple as drawing the line? Because I, I kind of do personally. Drawing the line and going, okay, this guy, it's clear he started the business for money or girl. And these people started the business out of a passion and knew their why from the get go, you know, because I think a lot of people probably find themselves sitting at their day job going, I'm so sick of this. I hate it. I'd love to run my own business or start something. How can I make money? Is their next thought? I mean, do you almost advise people, hey, don't go out and try to make money on your own. You've got to have a true burning desire on what you want to make first. Sometimes you can find it. And I think sometimes you have it from the beginning. So I love the question. I don't necessarily think that there's one path that people take because, you know, a guy like Al, if you look at him being in the pool business, you say, well, that makes sense. I can see that you're passionate about the pool business. But then here's me in the pool business. And at first glance, it doesn't make as much sense until I was able to work my why of marketing and communicating with people and doing that kind of thing into what we did. So I think there's 
there's kind of two ways to approach it. And I think you get to the same place with it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people who are tired, they're, they're sitting in their cubicle and they're tired of that and they want something different. The allure is making money for certain. Unfortunately, most people get caught in the money part and then that, that becomes a struggle. And then they're working for money and you're, all you're doing is working for money. And all of a sudden, the thing that you thought you like to do isn't so much fun anymore because the reward is only money. And that's why Sandy and I talk so much about our certain way. If we can develop a way that fulfills us and satisfies us and it takes care of our monetary needs as well, why not do that? And most people, I don't think, know that that's an option. Most people don't know that they can really love what they do. Most people think that they're supposed to do it. We're supposed to get up and go to work. We're supposed to do this, do that, pay bills, whatever, instead of let's orchestrate this so that we can love to do it and do only things that we love to do. And I think at the end of of any career, that's probably what most people look back at. And I, I was just Wayne Dyer had some stuff he just put out. Wayne Dyer passed away, what, six months ago or three months ago. And their, their Hay House is releasing some of his videos. And he just shared a video today that he was talking about. Uh, there's a, uh, a nurse in Australia, I think it was. She did this research on, she was a hospice nurse. And she did this research on people's last dying request, regrets and, and requests. And she found that most of those people felt that they hadn't lived their life. They, and how did they say it? He, he made a comment about his life. He said, he said, I decided not to be a tenured professor because I didn't want to live one year 90 times. He said, I wanted to live 90 years. He wanted to be in control of his own thing. And that was the same kind of that same genre of what this nurse was saying that people's regrets were was, they live their lives according to what society wanted from them versus how they wanted to live their lives. Business is exactly the same thing. We think we're supposed to do it for some other social reason. Let's do it because we love to do it and find something to love about it. So my follow-up question for that is for that person who's almost searching, they're kind of lost. They don't, they don't know their why. They don't really know their, their passion, their purpose. Maybe they just got out of college. They don't really know how they're going to use their degree. What would be step one for that person to find their why? I I can say that I was absolutely there. I was probably the least passionate person. I really feel like I, I always looked at people just out of college is a great example for me. Just out of college, I'm looking at all these people that seem to have something going. Wow, they're just doing something. And I was a, I was a guy that was full of fear. I was afraid to try stuff. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of what people were going to say. And when I got the opportunity to buy the company, that freed me of that because all of a sudden, uh, the, the backstory was I had worked through college with the, with the guy who owned the company and stayed on after college, got married, had, had my first kid. And then the previous owner had to get out of the business. He was having health challenges. And when he got out of the business, he said he offered to sell it to me. And I said, yes. And I didn't have a pot to pee in, didn't have a window to throw it out of. I had nothing. I had no credit history. I had no anything. I had no money to my name. And I said, yes. And that was the free, that was a freeing moment for me because I had no idea how I was going to do it. It was literally on faith. I stepped out and said, I don't know how I'm not going to ask anyone for money. 
somehow when we close on the business, I'm going to have to come up with thousands of thousands of dollars. And I just did. And the net result was I didn't know my why even at that point. That was just a freeing moment. I still had a lot of years of beating my head against the wall because there weren't really great books out there by Simon Sinek saying, start with why and understand why great companies work. Today, there's so much good information. This is pre-internet as well. So I didn't have the opportunity to, you know, be connected to so much great stuff that I had to just grind my way through it until I recognized, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this and feeling so crappy about it? And, and at that point, we started over and started with why. Why am I even doing this? And I found the things that I love. And I chose, we choose. It's easy for us to say no to phone calls today because if they don't fit the thing that we love to do, let's not do it. And we turn away uh, millions of dollars worth of work a year. I mean, really stupid. You would look at it on the outside and say, that's really big, stupid business decisions to turn away. I don't know, just in, just to con- pool construction was we turn away two and a half million dollars worth of pool work. That was pretty much guaranteed ours. This, you know, most of those jobs weren't, Hey, come bid against some other people. They were, we want you to build. And for some reason it didn't feel right. So maybe not the smart business decision in terms of scaling a company. It's a lot more fun though. Uh, you know, for me, we'll never be a gigantic company, but it's okay. We're going to be the company does the best thing, create that we're changing how pool building is viewed by the customer. Our customers love the experience and they call it an experience. They don't call it construction. They call it an experience. And for me, I just had to beat my head against the wall enough to go, why am I doing this? And once I, why am I doing this? The logical question was why? And and that's where it came from for me. So let me jump in on that question too and kind of take it from a different angle. If somebody is just out of college, like you mentioned, and they're kind of struggling with what that is, what I would suggest is finding out if money wasn't a factor and if you had a week to do something, what would you spend your time doing? Because it's often the things that we're naturally drawn to that we would do if money wasn't involved. That is something that we can, you know, kind of follow to discover what that is. I have no problem being up until two in the morning working on social media or tweaking a website. I mean, that's kind of like fun and it's almost, I mean, it's not a hobby because it's work, but even if I wasn't getting paid for it, that's what I would spend my time doing. So I don't know that everybody can find their path that way, but I know for a lot of people kind of following those natural um, nuances is something that works. And with our company too, we do something pretty unique with our team, whether they're in the office or whether they're out in the field. We do team meetings and at those team meetings, we bring up their roles and responsibilities. And we ask the construction team, what parts of what you do, do you enjoy the most? Because some people say, I love mixing cement and I love doing that type of thing. And other people will say, well, I can do the mixing of cement, but I really love putting the tile in place. So we try to find out what people are naturally drawn to and enjoy the most and then have them do more of it. Not to say that they don't ever have to multitask and do some of their least favorite activities, but instead of assuming that all five people that are out on the crew that day should do the same thing. When we have them specialize into the things that they enjoy, everybody's happier and the work gets done more quickly and to a better, um, just better energy in it. And that goes for the people in the office as well. Well, in in that particular case, if, if they can be out in the field doing the part that they love to do, they're engaged in it. 
They're enjoying it. Think about when it's something that you really like to do. Are you engaged in it? Are you sort of, eh, you know, I like to do this and you're really slow and lackadaisical? No, you're engaged. You're fully there. You're with it. You're in the moment. And we want to teach people to stay in the moment because we can talk about our future. We can talk about our past, but they really don't exist. The only, only thing that exists is right now, this moment and the next moment. And the only way that we can, we can put periods of time together is string moments together. So why not make them good moments? And that's what we've done with Screw is let's make every single moment of theirs as good as possible. And the net result is a great day, great week, great month, great year. And instead of forcing them to do something that they hate to do, let's not do that. Let's find people that love to do that part. And by doing that, that's just sort of created freedom for all of them. And I think that's... Going through those mental exercises is is something that we've always done. I've always been a personal growth, wanting to be a better person and wanting to do, didn't always succeed at it, but always wanted to. And so we've encouraged everyone else to do that as well. And that's what's helping people find their why is you just got to dig deep. If a guy comes out of college and doesn't know what he wants to do, he's just got to dig deep and start experiencing. Just You got to do some stupid stuff and, and find out if it works or not. You know, whether it's, you know, my, my daughter, Katie, is a great example. She's a wanderlust. She's 18 years old. to go to Europe for a couple months. Didn't ask dad for a dime or any help. She just figured out how to buy her own plane ticket. And she spent two months at 18 years old floating around Europe. I have no idea what she did. She couch surfed in some people's couches. She worked at a, she worked on a farm in Scotland for two weeks. She, I don't know, stayed in youth hostels. She visited who knows who. But what that did for her was that it empowered her to be the individual to do what she wants to do. And I think that's, again, that's how people find it is you just got to dig deep. And it, it hurts sometimes, but you got to just keep digging. Yeah, and I know that Jake and I can definitely advise um, and recommend how important it is. And I, y'all, y'all can elaborate on this much more, but how important it is to find a mentor or mentors. So even if you, you know, even if you're a little shy or or, or you're outgoing, if you're sitting there thinking, Oh man, I'd love to do this, but I don't know where to start. Like find somebody that's doing it, you know, surround, surround yourself with someone or people that can steer you in the right direction. You, we've all heard the old adage that, you know, you, you show me your friends and I'll predict your future. You've got to spend your time around good people. Good behavior breeds good behavior and find that mentor that's doing the thing that you want to do and shadow them. I, you know, do you think I would ever say no if some guy said, I want to fly in from Georgia and spend a week working with you? Do you think I'd go, nah, of course not. I'd say, come on, anytime you want, because I'm going to learn from him and he's going to learn from me. So why wouldn't I do it? And I think that's where we make the mistake, especially when we're younger, thinking that, well, I'm too young. I'm whatever. All these different excuses as to why someone would mentor me. Oh, no, we all want, we all need mentors. And I agree that. Surround yourself with those people that are doing the thing you want to do, and that gives you the that gives you the courage to go and do it. When do you know when you're ready to actually mentor others? When does that transition take place? I think I've found that there's no set amount of time that somebody has to be doing something before they're able to. And 
I think that people and even young people, like I'm mentored in some ways by younger, um, like computer programmers and things like that. So mentorship comes in a lot of different ways. And I think as soon as somebody has something inside of them that kind of speaks to their why, they are in a position to start mentoring on that. Of course, um, you know, sometimes people need to have spent time in business and become a little bit more well-rounded to kind of mentor in that way. But I do think that everybody has that opportunity. And it's just like Al had said, something that's not featured as much as it could be. So I don't know that it's, you know, a specific amount of time, but I think it's a certain feeling. And when somebody is on track with their certain way, I think they're also in a position to be mentors. And that's definitely something I watch when watching, um, you know, people singing or musicians or meeting artists and things like that, I'm always interested in their certain way of what they're doing because they have something to teach me in the passion and the way that they're going about that. So I think there's a lot of different ways to approach mentoring. And it's it comes from that certain when someone's developed their certain way to a certain point, I think is when they're really, whether they know it or not, in a great position to be a mentor. I think also it's experience. Once you have an experience, then you can tell the story. The story is impactful. And that story can be used to help someone else along the way. And I don't know, I don't know that I'm a great mentor now. I know I do really cool stuff and I live a life that's amazing, but I don't look at myself and say, wow, I'm a really, I'd be good at this. And yet people ask me questions all the time and, and that's part of our, our business. So I don't know that I feel like I've even arrived at anywhere. I'm just getting started. And yet some of the lessons that I've learned along the way, I certainly can share that someone could use in their experience and make their lives a little easier. They're going to have their own set of challenges. But if if I can help you not go through the particular one that I went through, why wouldn't I want to do that? And I think a lot of it just comes from telling stories and sharing your experience. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't know. Again, I suppose if, if my goal was to be a life coach, I would, that would be a mentor or, you know, I don't, I don't have any aspirations for that. I just want to do the thing I love to do and share it with everybody that wants to listen. If that's mentoring, I'm in for it. Uh, if it's, if it's got to be something more formal than that, I don't know that I'm qualified. I'd like to dive in a little bit to the social media aspect of y'all's business, which I know um, Sandy just kicks ass in that department and has a lot of great stuff to share. Where would you advise someone starting starting their journey on social media to gather a following or build a brand? Well, somebody should start with their why. So you've got to come up with the message that you'd like to share, which again is why that organic marketing process um we found is just a really good way of getting clear on what it is that you want to say. And then from our experience, I know that reaching people visually through photos and through video is kind of where to start. So if you wanted to identify specific social media sites, we could do that. But I think what you really have to do is figure out kind of what story can you put together in your own words to begin sharing with the world and then utilize the social media sites that are available to do that. So a lot of YouTube, a lot of Facebook, because that's where a lot of people hang out. Those are kind of the two main places that I would start spending time once I have my my kind of why and my story that I want to start to get out there. 
I think the thing that made us different early on, we were very much early adapters to social media. And we were both more philosophy-based. We weren't mechanics-based. We were more philosophy-based. And even in our teachings and through the years that we traveled around the country teaching our style of social media, we were always thinking about the philosophy behind it. I wish people would spend more time there than, oh, I got to be on Facebook. Oh, I got to post some stuff. Or, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. It spend more time in the philosophy. And, and, and philosophy, I guess, in this particular, particular case would be energy signature. Thinking about why you're doing this and then what message do you really want to share with people and spend time thinking about you and the message and how you want it to make people feel. And the more you do that, the more stuff that gets attracted to you that then you can share on Facebook and you can share through a blog and you can share in YouTube and you can tell those stories. So many people get this idea and, and I'm guilty of this going into the, into the YouTube world was views. Oh, views were important. Oh, who, who's going to think we're anything if we only have a hundred views on something. And yet when I step back and realize from a philosophical standpoint, that was a hundred people that didn't know me before they watched that video, or that was a hundred people that, that, you know, didn't know something about the product we were servicing or selling. And what happens if you start philosophy based and energy based with who do I want to be? The net result for us has been, we now have, like you've heard me say before, the social proof that we need. We did the goofy video of me doing a backflip off of a, a waterfall. Uh, and that thing had 70 views on it or 60 views on it. When a customer saw it and said, I have to have that $120,000 pool later, they got their, they got their pool that they could do their backflip off their own waterfall. And so we were, instead of mechanics based, we're philosophy based. We're how can we attract things into our lives that we can share with the people that love us? And that's kind of what we did. So I want to throw that question actually back toward you guys, because when we first met and you were telling Al and I and the other people at that dinner about what you did, you guys were kind of facts and figures based and you were kind of explaining a lot of the, um, the information about what you wanted to do. And then I kept asking you for your story. And every time you guys started to get into that, I said, yes, that's the kind of stuff that you need to do and you need to wrap it um, up in a video. So what have you guys found in your experience to this point um, as far as that question and getting started on social media? Have you guys kind of gotten friendlier toward video yourselves? It's it's taken a little bit. I know before we bring the camera out, the uh, for some reason, like the butterflies get going and just like, I don't know, something about being behind the camera. It's definitely helped us. And actually, our, our videos that we've put up on social media have done really well. Um, we'll definitely keep posting some more. I think we haven't got our our exact story and our why out there just yet. But I think that'll that'll definitely help. And um, and we're getting ready for it. Yeah, and we definitely just like you guys have been saying during this podcast is is driving that quality over quantity. Don't look at the post numbers or the view numbers, but I don't know. I've always tried to think of it as this may not be the best word, but curating your posts in a way and um, just making sure they are hitting home with that consistent message that you want people to feel. Yeah, I think that's one of the secrets of social media, too. 
a lot of times when people just kind of jump into something and they're a new entrepreneur and they're in it and they're doing it for the money and then they say, okay, the next thing I have to check on my list of things to do is get active in social media. It feels different than when you can come at it from your story. So I'm hoping that's something you guys are feeling really good about the content that you're putting out because you're approaching it in that way. Instead of just checking it off on a box or on a list, you guys, you know, are feeling that energy. And as a result, when we're watching it, we can kind of get that energy and vibe from it as well. Yeah. I, I think Jake too, you were mentioning that you, uh, you know, the butterflies and all of that. Again, that's a good gut check and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, years ago, I had to just decide that this is the only face I'm ever going to have. I don't necessarily like it. And I don't know if anyone else likes it, but they're going to have to get the fuck over it because it's the only one I've got. And, and yet I didn't want pictures of me. I didn't want any of that. But what I did recognize is by being put on video over and over and over, I learned to hone the message. I learned to tell my story in a thousand different ways because it's going to th- attract a thousand different customers because they're all going to hear me differently. So the net result of those butterflies, which I still get butterflies when, when the camera goes on. What I do know though is the social proof is that I've been able to hone my story and tell my story and tell different parts of my story in different ways at different times that affects people differently. And, and that's really the power behind this is I told this story a thousand videos ago and that's still getting viewed by people who are seeing it. And then I tell the story again today, a thousand videos later, and that's getting viewed. Which one's the right way to tell the story? I have no idea, but they're both being viewed. And then over time, because we did that, we did the work, the stuff, like I told you guys at the summit, for every hour that goes by, two hours of our video online is being watched. It's pretty crazy when you think about that. And we're just a pool company. We're not trying to sell, you know, we're not trying to sell widgets to everyone in the world. We're just selling what we do. And yet we have that much exposure online nowadays. Here's another tip about social media, because when people get started, they might feel like it has to be perfect. And my secret is that everything vintage becomes cool again. So when you get started and you do some of those videos and they're awkward, and if you're Al, if you're dressed in overalls and you're doing selfies, walking around a pool with like a flip um I had a flip camera, camera in my hand. They didn't even have selfie sticks at the time. And I'm walking around and talking about the pool. That footage didn't see the light of day until just recently because it, while it was okay, it was kind of awkward. And, and I think she felt a little silly about it and we felt a little silly putting it out there. But now that we're more established, that becomes a really cool part of our early message. Like, hey, we did anything it took to start getting the message out. And now watching that, it's kind of like a really fun throwback to earlier times. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of like recycling some of that content. Once you get better with your messaging, you can kind of pull that out and have it be a part of your brand backstory as well. I think there's one other really important lesson with doing video. Every time you tell that story on video, whatever it is you're talking about, those words are coming out of your mouth and they're going back in your ear and you're hearing it. And when you reinforce that continually, you become more excited about it and you become more animated about it and you you feel more passionate. There's one of the solutions to find a passion in something is talk about it enough because every time it comes out of your mouth, it goes right into your ear. And that's what happened for me with videos. The more I was forced to talk about stuff 
I didn't really want to talk about, the more excited I got about that stuff because I was started listening to myself. And there was a period of time where I'd actually watched some of our own videos going, wow, that was pretty good. It was like two years ago and I'm, I'm, I'm watching stuff going, hey, I was right on. And here's me now watching a video of myself listening to myself going, okay, the message is all right. Where anytime I talk, I don't feel like the message is right or on point. And yet looking back, the message became very on point. That's all really good stuff. And I think one one of the last things we want to touch on here, um, which I brought up earlier, is the energy signature. And I think it's one of those things that's kind of intuitive once you know what it is. And I mean, me and Josh know because we went through the process, but can y'all just expand on that a little bit? And yeah, well, how do you how do you become conscious, I guess, of your energy signature and, and utilize it? When, when we get when we get in that place and you start thinking about, well, how do I want people to feel about me? How do I want them when I'm not there? And here's something for me. I look at myself in the screen and I realize I have a, I have a, what's the sitting bitch face or whatever? I have a crabby resting. face, resting bitch face. Yeah. I also have a resting bitch voice, I've been told. But I have to stay animated to not look so mean, to not look so intimidating. And I tell people when I get onto, onto a project, I'll tell the homeowner, I'll say, I need to tell you guys this. When I'm working on a machine, no, I'm not mad. I'm just intense. I'm always in it. I said, you can think I'm mad. I don't get mad about anything. I'm about as gentle of a guy as there could be, but I look mean and mad. He doesn't all the think time. he looks like a bouncer. I well, mean, seriously. No. I'm just that little boy with soft hands in my mind. I, I just don't quite see that. But recognizing that, for me, I have my energy signatures, I have to stay animated. I have to keep my hands moving. Otherwise, <laughs> it's that haircut. It, yeah, it might be. But if I just sit there and I stare at someone, people aren't really comfortable with me. So part of my energy signature is to overcome that. See, that's the face I have. But that was an energy signature decision was how can I use my resting bitch face to my advantage? And I, I have to stay animated to do it. So that was some of the things in terms of energy that I had to do. And then from our marketing standpoint, we looked at how do we want people to feel about us? And more importantly, how do we want to make people feel, consciously make them feel? And, and that's when we get into some of the cool stuff that we do with teasing people. And we, we really mess with people. And we uh, a great story, a pool we built this spring. So we built this huge tree, concrete tree with a rope swing that these people could play on. Well, embedded in the base of the tree, we took this old mailbox Old, like a, from an old time, uh, po post office PO box that has a little, it has a little dial on it and you have to figure out the code to open it up. Well, we buried that into the tree with a little hollow behind it and we put some stuff in there for the kids. We put a couple of silver coins and we put a couple of Smurfs peeking out and they had to figure out how to get it out. And it drove them nuts. The mother spent a hundred hours trying to get this fucking thing open. And she would she would text us and call us unmercilessly, please, how many digits? Which way do I go? What do I do? She was an engineer. She she laid it out. Okay, there's two digits or 64 combinations. Do I do left? Do I right? And she went through this whole, literally, I can imagine on her wall, written on her living room wall, was this whole spreadsheet of, of trying to figure out how to get this thing open. But that's an energy signature. We didn't just build a pool. We built an experience. 
So they worked and they worked and they worked and then we teased them with how to do it and we pretend like we didn't know and, and then Karen went over there and she hid the, from the camera because they had a camera. They watched us the whole project. When the lady was at work, she had a camera on the project because she was, she was afraid she'd miss something. Well, Karen would hide so she'd play with it just to, just to mess with her. And the reality is, is that's part of the energy signature. So our employees are doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. One of the things we did a couple of years ago, which was amazing, and it goes into this, we wouldn't have to because we're already done with the pool. But what we did was we had to close this pool and in the winter, and it had a grotto, a swim-in cave. Well, before we closed the pool, I jumped in the water and went in the cave, and we mounted a a um, a really cool box uh, a treasure box on a little shelf in there and I screwed it down and we put a whole bunch of swag and fun stuff in there, closed it, put a lock on it. And the lock, the lock had like three numbers you had to figure out. Well, we took a picture of it. This was as the pool was being closed. So they weren't going to see the pool for five months. They weren't going to see inside there. And we took a picture of it. Sandy made him a Christmas present, a monopoly board, a custom monopoly board with the pictures of their pool project all the way around as the as the pieces around the board. And one of them was the picture of this treasure chest. And of course, they look at it and go, where's that? Wait, we didn't see that. What is that all about? And the kids spent all winter trying to figure out how to get into the grotto to find out what this thing was. Well, so they play Monopoly all winter. In the spring, we take the cover off. The day we take the water cover off, it's 52 degrees the water is. The kid gets home from school, jumps in, swims in there to try to find, find out what's in there. It's locked. So then the next thing, it took him three or four months to figure out what the combination was. And what we had done through the project is we'd put these three little numbers mixed throughout their entire project. And eventually they had to find the numbers and then use those numbers to figure out what the code was. And it drove this kid crazy for months. But all he could talk about was how cool it was that it drove him crazy for months. And the net result was we didn't have to do any of that. They paid us a long time before. But it wasn't about being paid. It was about having the experience. And so that's the energy signature that we create. Well, once he broke in, he put all the stuff back in there so his sister could figure it out. Well, then when when they were out of town, I snuck back into the yard. I took all that stuff out, put a hold, put a box inside of it with another lock on that, then closed this one up and locked that one and hit a key in the yard to completely mess with them. Well, a year later, they got the first box open. They still can't figure out how to get the second box open. So now, three years later, they're still experiencing that energy signature. And and I, as a matter of fact, when they broke into the first box, we had just a, a squeezy ball. What was it was a ask the pool guy squeezy ball in there. And the homeowner called us that afternoon and said, "I don't know what you put in there, and I don't know what kind of juju's in that ball, but I've had nine little boys all day playing with this little squeezy ball." And he goes, "It must be that energy signature you talk about." So it's kind of infused in everything. And, so, so yeah. yeah, that's that's a long way of explaining that the secret of the energy signature is how people feel about you and the stories that you can tell about yourself and things that happen. So I'm, just through Al explaining that, you probably got a sense of the feelings that we like to create in the projects that we do. We do. We just... We just uh, finished, closed a project we built this year that has a, a cave in it as well. And... The day we closed it, I swam in there and I mounted it. The inside of this cave is like a pirate themed inside. It's really cool. There's a there's a crevice with a a skull with little red beady LED lights eyes, and there's a 
a treasure chest that's all lit up with sparkling stuff. And there's a, a sword that the kids could pull out, but then it hits the wall so they can never get it out of the scabbard. And there's, there's just all, it's really cool in there. Well, I had found this really cool little real life looking pirate. What, what's his name? Johnny Depp and mm-hmm. whatever, Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean. And we put that in there and I, I glued it to the wall and took a picture of it. And more than likely what we'll do is for Christmas, We'll send them a Monopoly board, and here will be this pirate in there. And I, I took a picture of it so they could see the sword, so they had a reference point, and they're going to wonder, when did that get there? What's that all about? But it's that continual, how can we continue to awe people so that they feel the right way about us? Wow. Well put. There's a uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here, and we appreciate y'all taking the time. Uh, we always learn something talking with you guys. Um and we'll put this in the show notes, but where can people go to find that tic-tac-toe and work through if they want? If people want to work on their organic marketing tic-tac-toe board, I would say the quickest place to get there is ask the pool guy forward slash marketing. We're going to have a bunch of fun links there. Um, you can get to it. The book is on Amazon. There's a Skillshare course available on Skillshare.com for free if people want to jump into it. So I'd say that's where you can get to know us a little bit and then um, find out our marketing philosophies as well. Yeah. And Sandy, like you say that uh, we can speak from experience that tic-tac-toe board, you can utilize that, implement it on anything you're doing. It doesn't have to be just starting a business. I mean, it, buying, buying a t-shirt, you know I mean? <laughs> you can. Yeah. The uh, A quick story on that. We had a couple of years ago, we had a uh, uh, production company call us about a TV show. And, you know, that was really flattering. It was really kind of cool. And we're like, wow, well, I have our own TV show. That'd be awesome. A week later, we had a second production company call us. And we're like, hmm, if if there's more than one, now we're in power, you know, because we got the opportunity to decide. If you only have one opportunity, you kind of have to go their way. But if there's two people, why don't we think about what it would be, what it would look like? So we took tattooed the whole thing and we recorded it, I think. We us talking about the whole process and we got through the entire process and realized our customers would never want to be on TV. It would never work for us. So the tic-tac-toe board helped us understand that our customer wouldn't want that. So why would we want to do it? But the process helped us understand if we were to ever have a TV show, we would want it to look a certain way and we have it pre-designed. Well, then this year we also had a third production company call us. And, you know, it's just not right for us because I, the last thing we want to do from an energy signature standpoint is get thrown on TV to have a bunch of drama. If it could be about the, the yummy experience that we have in relationship with customers, that'd be great. But we know what rea- reality TV is and that would drive a ton of business to us. But who wants business like that? But we use tic tac toe to help us understand that's ab- clearly not for us. Drama free business only. I hate drama. <laughs> Turning down business, turning down TV shows. I mean, living the dream, you know. We, you got it. We've we've had a pretty crazy cool run at this. Just just the net result of this has afforded us some pretty awesome stuff. So, yeah. I, again, we have the social proof that we know that it works now, and uh, just can't help but pinch myself every day. Awesome. Anyways, guys, thanks again. We really appreciate it. A uh, ton of great stuff. Thanks yeah, for taking thanks the time. For being on. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for letting us blab on for a while. We appreciate it. (laughs) No problem. All right, guys.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Two Fit USA, the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the Two Fit Guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at TwoFitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to TwoFitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1, that's F-I-T-1, at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, 2fitusa.com, under the podcast and products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all 2Fit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and until next time.